Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice hey, everybody. Thanks for joining. This is Shane Claiborne, and this show is on every week. Some of you listen on the radio. Some of you listen on the podcast. Some of y'all listen to the recording or the video afterwards, and I... And so glad to have a chance to share with you and to hear back from you. There's a lot going on in our world right now. And uh, I've been in a doing a series of podcasts and radio shows around themes of my book, Rethinking Life, which the subtitle of it is Embracing the Sacredness of Every Person. And I want to pause right now just to say it feels like there are so many lives being lost in our world right now. We think of um, the, the terrible uh, violence in Gaza and the, in uh, Israel, um, all the lives lost. Um, we think of uh, last night in the United States here, as, as I'm recording this, uh, there was another mass shooting last night, this time in a little town in Maine where uh, we now know at least 20 people have lost their lives um, um, and like 50 or 60 other people are injured, many of them in critical condition. Their lives will never be the same. Um, from another mass shooting with an assault rifle with military-style weapons that are still legal on our streets. And so, as I always say after every mass shooting in our country, let's pray for the victims and let's honor their lives by taking action to end gun violence. Uh, we can't save every life, but we can sure make it harder for people to kill. There were so many red flags uh, about this shooter. He had made threats. He had done things on social media um, that, uh, and, and uh, it appears that he was really struggling with mental health. Uh, but the thing is, every country in the world has folks that struggle with their mental health, folks that are prone to violence. What uh, is unique about America is the access that we have to the weapons to carry out those intentions. Uh, guns like the AR-15, which is designed for one purpose, to kill as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. It's a weapon of war, and that's what it keeps getting getting used for over and over, taking so many lives. Uh, so we remember those victims um, and all the victims of violence in our world. And we also are, are I'm coming uh, to this show today with a heavy heart uh, as well, because we've got an execution planned um, of a man named Will Spear in Texas, uh, someone who has been a pastor and a minister um, um, in Texas on death row is now, um, and, and even despite family members of the victim saying they didn't want him killed, he's had a really incredible transformation of his life. The state of Texas is preparing to carry out that execution. So as we think about life, y'all, and the sacredness of life, 
Um, let's renew our commitment today and every day to be a force for life, to champion the sacredness of every person made in the image of God in Israel and Palestine. That means that love and compassion are not limited resources. We can grieve and we should grieve every life that was lost in Israel, uh, taken so horrifically by um, the Hamas terrorists. Um, and we also are grieving the lives lost in Gaza, those still whose lives are at stake there without water, um, surgeries, incredible heroic doctors and nurses performing life-saving surgeries with um, flashlights and um, vinegar because they don't have medical uh, supplies. So every Palestinian life and every life in Gaza is uh, sacred, made in the image of God. The hostages we're praying would be released. We're advocating for those lives. Uh, so let's not limit and narrow our vision, um, but expand our passion for life. And what so often happens with propaganda is it, we are um, sort of, socialize and condition to emphasize the humanity of one group over the humanity of another group. And that's what leads to genocides and violence when we begin to talk about people as a little less precious than other folks. And so I'm also so grateful for my friends uh, in the West Bank, um, Palestinian Christians that have drafted a letter talking about their love for Jesus, their theology of nonviolence rooted in the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching and life of Jesus, and their call for an end to the violence there. And these are Palestinian Christians. I mean, it's important to remember that some of the oldest parts of Christianity are in uh, what we would now know as the West Bank or Palestine. I mean, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? <laughs> I've, been, I've been to the Church of the Nativity there where uh, Jesus was born. We've been through that area um, where Jesus um, walked and lived and breathed that is so riddled with violence right now. So it breaks our hearts, it breaks the heart of God. Um, but these, these congregations, like the church that was bombed in uh, Gaza, is one of the oldest churches in the world. So these these are this is the land of our ancestors, and we we remember Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because it didn't know what would lead to peace. And certainly Jesus has got to be weeping over Jerusalem and Gaza now. So let's have that courage uh, to to call for an end to the violence. And so here's where we're at in this series, though. Is so I, I've been talking about. Um, rethinking life. And if you haven't gotten this book, it's an audio book. Me and my wife, Katie, read it. Um, and you can you can get it in different forms. But if you're just tuning in, this is the, the framework that we've, we've been kind of laying the groundwork for this uh, last section that I'm going to talk about. So the beginning of the book is laying the foundation for why we believe life is sacred. Looking at the early church, looking at scripture, at every person made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, the image of God in every one of us. Um, 
And then, you know, in the second section, the middle of the book, I talk about the cracks in the foundation. When we began to see this robust ethic of life, this theology of nonviolence um, and peacemaking begin to crack. Um, and certainly there are some big fault lines that we, we can see in that during the era of Constantine and the Crusades, colonization, uh, colonialism, you know, all, all this is, so this was done, baptized in Christian theology and language, even projects like the eugenics project, which was kind of trying to genetically engineer the master human race, uh, the slave trade, so much of the most horrific things done in history had a theological grounding. So there's deadly theology out there. Now, this is where we get to the good news, y'all. We're getting to the good news. <laughs> Hallelujah. It is This last section is repairing the foundation. So, uh, you know, talking about what it looks like to be a champion for life and to to advocate for the sacredness of every person. So the first part of this is about truth telling. And uh, throughout the book, there's been this sort of uh, refrain that the truth will set you free. Um, truth is liberating, right? And lies hold us hostage. That's why that right now in our country, there's a battle over how we're going to tell history. Do we want to be honest about the hard parts of that history, especially the hard parts of history for folks that um, are descendants of slave owners and um, folks that um, were on the wrong side of our history when it comes to Native Americans and, um, and, and uh, African Americans. But we know in the church, there is this thing called confession. It is the, the, the beginning of healing and repairing harm is telling the truth. I mean, this is also part of the recovery community is being, be, you know, it, it begins by facing the truth about our current condition and our past, the thing, the harm that we've done. So truth is from God always, no matter, um, uh, you know, who the messenger is. And there's truth tellers that are Christians. There's truth tellers that are not, but truth is always from God. And also Christians can be liars. And in the book, you know, Rethinking Life, I've talked about places where even the same person, the same mouth uh, spoke lies and spoke truth. And, you know, Martin Luther said inside every one of us, there is a, a demon or he said, he said, inside every one of us, there's a sinner and a saint that are at war, right? So there is a force for good and a force for darkness. Um, so let's let's celebrate the truth. Let's tell the truth. Um, truth telling, it's the beginning, the first step towards healing. And after truth telling and confession, we can then move on towards healing and repair and reconciliation but we've got to tell the truth first about ourselves about the the ways that we we fall short of who we want to be and the good news is that God is good even when we're not God is good even um, in the midst of our histories as nations and so I love uh you know how my friend uh, Jamar Tisby who's a wonderful uh historian and scholar he says, History and scripture teach us that there can be no reconciliation without 
repentance. And there can be no repentance without confession. And there can be no confession without truth. So truth leads to confession. Confession leads to repentance. Repentance can lead to reconciliation. And that's where the, the magic and the healing happens. But it, it uh, it's also like Dr. Martin Luther King talked about our history of racism is like um, an untreated festering wound. And he put it like this, like a boil that can never be cured as long as it is covered up. Injustice must be exposed before it can be cured. So telling the truth, there's a lot of beautiful ex uh, experiments in truth telling that are out there right now. I mean, there's um, I think of uh, the Equal Justice Initiative. Our dear friends down in Montgomery, Alabama, EJI, Equal Justice Initiative, founded by Brian Stevenson. And he often says we can't get our future right until we get our history right. And part of what they've done is help us tell the truth about our history around um, racial terror, um, particularly around lynching. Uh, EJI has done this massive, most thorough documentation of lynchings um, in our country. And they now have a memorial there, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, where we remember the names of all of the victims of uh, racial terror and lynching. Um, one of the things that we did with Brian, I, I, I had the privilege of being down there when a lot of what we see now in the form of the museums was it was it was a, a dream and a PowerPoint presentation, you know, <laughs> and it was an idea. And we prayed over that land together. And one of the things that Brian and others at EJI did is they took us out to the land, exactly the, the locations where um, people had been lynched. And these public lynchings were horrific. Um, and they were such a desecration of life. Um, people were tortured. Um, often pieces of their body were cut off and taken home by white folks that were taking photographs and selling postcards. And uh, I mean, it, it was, it was, it's really sickening. But one of the things that we did was we took uh, Brian took us out to these sites and we gathered the dirt from the sites of lynchings in jars, glass jars. And on those glass jars, you can see the name and the date of the person uh, of the event that took this person's life, the lynching. And then those jars are gathered on the wall. It's one of the installations at the, the museum down there. And as you look at these names of people and the, you read the stories you recognize that the, every one of these people is made in the image of God. It's a reclamation of of their life. I mean, I, I think um, of all the historic markers in our country, so often they are memorials to the Confederacy, to the wars. Um, we're often erecting statues to people like Robert E. Lee, folks who are on the wrong side of history. In, in my home state of Tennessee, we had a statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest, the founder of the KKK, of the Ku Klux Klan. He was, is, we had a bronze statue of him, a bust of him in the Capitol until just a couple of years ago. I mean, so literally we've been remembering the victimizers rather than the victims of our history of racial terror. Um, and there's an old proverb that, that, uh, it puts it like this, until the lions have their own historians, the history of the hunt 
will always glorify the hunter, <laughs> right? That's old proverb. So when the people who have been on the wrong side of racial history have still been the ones that hold the power and literally hold the pen with which we're writing the history books, um, our history always glorifies the hunter um, rather than the victim. So we've got to be deliberate about this work of truth telling. Right. And that's why, you know, in our country, there's all this debate over critical race theory. There's literally books that are banning uh, 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 books that are being banned that tell the truth about history. Um, there's attempts to erase Martin Luther King and the history of some of the civil rights movement from history books and tell it a certain way that would never make white people feel guilty or shameful. <laughs> you know, like, but you know, like this is a battle over truth. It's not just a battle over history. Um, and I mean, it would be unthinkable, right? After 9-11, to try to remember 9-11 by erecting statues of the folks who hijacked the planes. I mean, it's absurd. And yet, with our history of um, conquest of native lands, of the, the struggle for the abolition of slavery, often we have erected statues to the folks who have been on the wrong side of that history. Um, We've been better at protecting Confederate monuments than black lives sometimes. And so let's tell the truth about history. Um, I even think of, you know, one of the, the stories locally in our neighborhood. There's um, the elementary school next to our house is Sheridan Elementary School is what it's been known, named after Union General Philip Sheridan. Um he was most well known for his brutal campaigns against Native Americans. And his most infamous quote was, and this is very offensive, but this is General Sheridan said, the only good Indian is a dead Indian. And we had a school, an elementary school named after him. And, 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 and no, you know, it's worth noting in a neighborhood that is predominantly not white. I mean, we've got um, this school remembering um, someone who, I don't want to be a hero to our kids. Um, they aren't a hero. I mean, and and so our school um, had a poll and they renamed it. And this is awesome. There was like some really um, incredible people that were um, uh, kind of nominated to be, you know, uh, the new name of the school. And one of those, the winner of it was Gloria Caceres. And this is a, the city of Philadelphia's first director of LGBTQ affairs. And she was a fierce advocate for uh, LGBTQ equality. Uh, she was also a student at the elementary school. So now it is Gloria Caceres Elementary School. So how we remember, you know, the, the, the street names, the memorials, the, the buildings that we name our schools after, like all of these things, they matter. They matter because it's a part of how we are raising our kids, remembering history, and also imagining the future, right? What does it look like to remake the world, to, to build the world that we dream of? So, you know, I think as we think about what repair looks like, um, I mean, this these are the sim symbols, but it also goes deeper than that. I mean, this is not just the name of an elementary school. It's about a person, two people, you know, that had very different stories. Uh, and Repair, repairing the harm of the past looks different, you know, in, in North Philadelphia than it looks in like in Selma, Alabama or Tulsa, Oklahoma, where we had the, the race massacre 
there. Um, but looking with specificity to place becomes really important. I think of my friends at Princeton Seminary. Um, they began to see all the ways that they profited from racism and slavery. And they've begun what's now, a, I think it's like $28 million of repair. And there's a lot of folks that want more, you know, but they're they're trying to reckon with that history and do something about it, not just release a statement, but actually, uh, you know, do something with their finances to recognize. And I think of Zacchaeus, right? People that don't, you know, that don't believe in like actual financial reparations. Um, the story of Zacchaeus is interesting because he benefited from the system of oppression. He was a tax collector, a Roman tax collector, but he encounters Jesus and he immediately sells half of everything he had. And then he pays people back four times what he owed them. Um, so he spends the whole system on its head, does re reparations, healing from that. And it's a part of his rebirth, right? So a part of uh, our, our calling is to repair that harm of history. So, you know, Princeton Seminary is res wrestling with that. Georgetown University uh, here in the United States, they are now uh, having a multi-million dollar reparations um, effort that creates scholarships for those who are the descendants of enslaved people. So we need creativity, right? We need to look at, uh, you know, our particular place, our nations, our even our churches that benefited um, and practice the sacrament of confession and then practice uh, repairing some of that harm. So one of the other things, you know, as I'm like looking at this in my book is that there is this sense of a calling of to be proximate with those who are suffering. And I'm, I'll end this show today. I'm going to have one more or two more shows on, on this book, but um, proximity to the suffering of the world is at the heart of the gospel. I mean, we have a God that left all the comfort of heaven to join the suffering here on earth and was born, get this, especially right now, that, that God came to us as a brown-skinned, Palestinian, Jewish, baby refugee, born in the West Bank, coming from a town where people said nothing good could come, nothing com good comes out of Nazareth. And yet that Jesus born in a manger because there was no room in the end, it is a God who is proximate with the suffering, who uh, left all the comfort of heaven to join the struggle here on earth. We see a God who is leaning in to the suffering of the world and inviting us to get proximate, to be near to those who are hurting. And um, I don't know too many people who have changed their minds on social issues because they lost an argument. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many people um, lose an argument and change their mind. But we, what I do know is a lot of people that have changed their mind because something has moved their heart. And often our hearts move before our minds. Uh, so what we do to change people's hearts is we we get them closer to the pain. Some of that's by amplifying the voices of people who are hurting. I mean, even right now on social media, showing the faces of Palestinian children, the children in Gaza who whose lives are being lost. I mean, over and over, we've lost like thousands 
of lives of women and children. That's the majority of the over 5,000 deaths in Gaza right now. I mean, half it's, I can't, it's, it's, it boggles the mind that you've got a, a place the size of Philadelphia. That's what Gaza is. That is 2 million people. I mean, all of Israel is the size of New Jersey, one of our smallest states. And yet in this little area, one of the most densely populated regions in the world, Gaza, these bombs are falling and they're hitting homes and hospitals and churches and and half the population of Gaza are children. At the end of the day, Jesus was a fierce advocate for children. And I don't think Jesus cares whether they are Jewish or Muslim, whether they're on this side of the wall or that side. Every one of these children is made in the image of God. And God takes it personally when a child is killed. There should not be collective punishment. We should not have terrorists that are killing Israelis because they disagree with the policies of the state of Israel. And I disagree with the policies of Israel, but the violence is the problem, not the solution. Uh, we shouldn't have uh, folks dying, children and women dying in Gaza because of the sins of Hamas. And those sins are undeniable. They're, they make me sick at my stomach, the murder that was taken. And yet we're seeing some of those same little children who are dying every single day in Gaza. So if we're upset about the, the, the deaths from Hamas in Israel, but not upset about the deaths of children in Gaza, something's wrong. Let's ask God to, to, to change our heart, to uh, give us new eyes. Because these children, what we do to the least of these, we do it unto Christ. It is a desperate time in our world. We're going to keep talking about life, y'all, um, because every human being is made in the image of God. We need to be fierce advocates of life, not just um, some lives, but every single life, not just on one issue, but on every issue. Let us not just be pro-birth, but pro-life. Let us advocate from life, from womb to tomb. Come on, y'all. Let's be uh, those, the biggest enemies of death, because we are lovers and followers of the Prince of Peace. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.